Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. For those of you just joining us today, uh, this is a teaching series that we're part of. You're part of, we're, we're doing a teaching series that's called Re. And the teaching series is about restoration. Uh, it's all about the restoration work that God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. And I don't know if you know that, but, but God ultimately wants to change your life. He wants to radically change your life so that you become transformed. You become more and more like Jesus. And, and, and it doesn't matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, doesn't matter what your background is, God is eager to do this restoration work within you. And uh, when he does this restoration work in you, it, it begins on the inside. It, it springs up on the inside. It begins to flow out into your relationships, and ultimately, it will change the world. But it always begins within your heart, within your attitude, into your behaviors, into your relationships, and to the ends of the earth. So God's restoration plan for the world ultimately includes both you and I. And so this series, we're talking about the importance of restoration. And what we're saying to you is that the kindest thing that you can do for yourself is to participate with God in his restoration plan for your life. There's no better thing in this world that you can do than to participate with God in what he wants to do in you and ultimately through you. Now, in the last couple of weeks, we've, we've looked at a, a number of rewords. It turns out there are a number of rewords that kind of spell out what this restoration plan might look like. Uh, first week, we talked about remembering the gospel and the importance of doing that. And I think that's something that's important for us as we go through this entire series is to remember the gospel as the foundation and the basis for which we do this transformation work. Uh, last week, we looked at repentance, not a popular word, but as we looked at it together, we understood that, yes, it is a great gift to us to actually be part of and to have a posture of repentance continually. Today, the reword that we're looking at is resist, and we're talking about resisting temptation. And this is incredibly important for the restoration work that God wants to do in us. Uh, if we do not re- resist temptation in our lives, then the restoration work that God wants to do ultimately gets no traction. Uh, I'm involved in a restoration project in my home. We just purchased a home this, uh, this summer on the north side. We've moved in, but one of the things that we want to do in, in the next few months is a restoration project in my basement. Uh, we are putting in a kitchenette because uh, our, our daughter, Elisa, when she gets married, her and Drayton are going to move into our basement suite. And so I've got this major project to do. It's a lot of work. I like restoration projects. Um, so what, we, what I basically have to do to put in the kitchenette is I have to put in a new floor. There was tile in the basement. The tile had to go. It's all got to come out. I shoveled out all the tile, laid down some subfloor. Okay, so that's where I'm at right now in this restoration project. You're wondering why I, I can't turn to the left fully? That's because my back is killing me. Okay, so... That's what I've been up to in the last little while. Now, can you imagine, after the day I finished shoveling out, chipping out, grinding down all this tile, went to bed that night, woke up in the morning, went down to the basement to continue the work, and suddenly all the tile was reinstalled. <laughs> right? I, I don't know if it's house elves. I don't know if it's gnomes. I don't think it's the, I, I wonder if it's the discipleship group guys in my, in my group thinking they're funny. I don't know. Okay, but somehow all the tile gets installed. Can you imagine that? Three steps forward, 
three steps back. What does that do? It essentially sabotages the restoration project. And, and that is just an, a great illustration of ultimately what it means when we give in to temptation and we do not resist temptation. All of the restoration work that God wants to do in our lives gets sabotaged. And so it's incredibly important. And there is a strong relationship between resisting temptation and restoration. So I want to talk to you this morning about resisting temptation. And I want to basically lay the groundwork and explain what it means to resist temptation. We're going to look at four truths this morning about resisting temptation. And at the end, we're going to get uber, uber practical and talk about how do I do that? How do I resist temptation? So if you have your bulletin notes, pull those out. Uh, you can track along on screen as well and, and online at home. Uh, but temptation, first of all, the first truth is this. Temptation is common. Temptation is common. So if, if, if you experience temptation in your life, you are not weird, okay? You are not strange. You don't have a third eye. You don't have an 11-inch tail, okay? The Bible confirms it. Let, let me, let, let's look at what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here's what he says. No temptation, no temptation has seized you, has overtaken you, except what is common to mankind. So how does Paul describe temptation? He says it is common to every living person on the planet. Temptation is as common as belly buttons. So if you experience temptation this morning, you are not alone. Temptation is a normal part of the human experience. Billy Graham was tempted. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was tempted. The Pope was tempted. Apparently, our prime minister is tempted, okay? <laughs> Even Jesus, the most perfect human who ever lived, was tempted. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 to 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was what? He was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Temptation is common to everyone. That's the first truth. Here's the second truth. Uh, temptation comes from desires and the devil. Essentially, there are two primary sources of temptation that you will experience in your life. One of them comes from the inside. The other one comes from the outside. So one comes from the desires that are within you. One comes from the devil that is who is without you or apart from you. Now, some people really love to blame the devil for their bad behavior. But as it turns out, we don't need outside props to do wrong things. Because we are fallen human beings, our hearts have flawed internal software. Our inner compass is not always pointing to true north. And we have a propensity within us to do the wrong thing. Uh, let's, let's look at what James says in James chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So, I mean, we can't blame God for our bad behavior at the end of the day. James says, ultimately, it's our own evil desire. There is, there is something seriously wrong inside each and every one of us. In, in other parts of the Bible, it's very clear what this is. It describes it as the sinful nature. It describes it as, as the flesh. Okay, it's, it's something that we inherited from Adam. And so we have this broken and distorted nature that's inside of us that doesn't always want to do the right thing. And even when we want to do the right thing, oftentimes we end up doing the wrong thing. It's distorted. 
And the struggle, therefore, for each and every one of us is real. We face temptation because of something that's going on inside of us. Now, I think it's important to pause for just a second here and to point out that having desire is not a bad thing. Actually, you were created with desires. You were created with desires for relationships, for food, uh, for work, for using your gifts. God gave us desires, and he gave us this world that we live in for our enjoyment and for his glory. The problem is, the problem is the way that we use or we abuse these desires. God likes to put boundaries around our desires, and he does this for our own good and for the good of all other people. And sometimes in the pursuit of our desires, we choose to step outside of God's boundaries, of God's will. So hunger is normal. But if you take hunger to its extreme, it becomes gluttony. Sleep is normal, but to its extreme, it becomes laziness. Work, the desire to build and create, it's a normal desire, but it can become workaholism. Sex within marriage is honorable, but outside of marriage, it becomes lust and adultery. Now, it's interesting how how James talks about evil desires. He says that they can can entice us or they can can drag us away. And and if you look at the original Greek language, the idea here that he's speaking about is that of setting a trap or of uh, maybe putting out a lure, baiting a hook. Anyone here like fishing? Anyone fish? A few of you? Okay. Anyone like to eat fish? Okay. Maybe more? Okay. Okay. for those of us who fish, you know that if I was to just put a hook on the end of my line and cast it in the water, the chances of me ever catching a fish are zero to none. It would have to be a pretty darn desperate fish, okay? And there are desperate fish out there as much as there are desperate people out there. But they would, the, the chances of you actually catching a fish would be next to nothing. But So what do I do? Well, I put something on the hook, okay, in order to catch the fish. Because the fish knows that hook looks like a bad idea. If I put that hook in my mouth, chances are I'm going to hurt myself. Things are going to fall apart. So what we will do is we'll put a nice fat tasty minnow on there. We'll put a five of diamond spoon on there or something like that in order to entice the fish and to bring it in. Um, And that's really ultimately how temptation works. Temptation is all based on deception. It's all based on illusion. It, It makes what's wrong seem at first good and shiny and and maybe exciting. And we are enticed by it. And we don't really think about what happens after we bite the temptation. All that we see before us oftentimes is what's just before us, which looks exciting and shiny and happy, and it lures us. So we don't think about what happens next. We don't think about the shame or the regret or the pain it causes. We don't imagine how it's going to ruin our lives or how it's ultimately going to ruin relationships. If we really knew that, if we really just saw that, we wouldn't give in to the temptation. But temptation always is a deception, and it looks better than it actually is at the end of the day. Now, we have these desires going on inside of us, and that's bad enough that we have this inner temptation. But the Bible also says that we have faced external temptation. The Bible teaches that within our world, there are malevolent spiritual forces who are seeking our destruction. And these spiritual forces are under the influence, under the leadership of uh, Satan, the devil. He's the prince of the power of the air. And his purpose ultimately is to draw worship away from God and to himself and to thwart God's kingdom work here on earth. He's the father of lies. He masquerades as an angel of light. He is the deceiver, and he's also a schemer. 
And here's the thing, is that when we become followers of Jesus, okay, the Bible says a supernatural event takes place, and we cross over from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light. So we essentially, at the end of the day, we change teams. We, and, and, you know, just because we were in the dominion of darkness prior to following Jesus doesn't mean we really knew that. doesn't mean that we were Satan worshipers or anything like that at all. And in many ways, we were just inadvertently within that realm, within that kingdom. But when we changed over, we did change teams. And when we changed teams, essentially, that didn't make him very happy. It's like putting a target on our chest, right? And, and making us probably one of the primary people that he wants to attack at the end of the day. And the way that he does it ultimately is with temptation. So this means ultimately, at the end of the day, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are fighting a battle on two fronts. You're fighting a battle from within. You're experiencing a battle from without. And oftentimes, Satan being as scheming and as wise as he is, likes to double down on that battle. He is going to find the area in your life where internally you're typically weak or you're vulnerable, and he's just going to double down on that. And so it is a very difficult battle. The enemy is going to look for cracks in our defenses and do a coordinated battle plan. So there's a real battle going on. The struggle is real. Here's the third truth. And, and this truth, I think, is so very critical. I'm not going to spend as much time on it, but it just needs to be said this morning. Here it is. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. There, there is actually a very real distinction between sin and temptation in Scripture. Hebrews 4, verse 15. We do not have a high priest. Who's this talking about? It's talking about Jesus. We don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was tempted, but Jesus did not sin. There is a difference between sin and temptation. And many followers of Jesus, and it might be you here this morning, have spent your entire lives beating yourself up for the wrong thing. Listen, you do not have to feel guilty or defeated for being tempted because temptation is not sin. There is a difference. Now, what, does, what is this difference between temptation and sin? Let me, let me spell it out for you. What, first of all, let me start. What is temptation? Temptation, essentially, is the suggestion to sin. It's the su suggestion to do what's wrong as opposed to what's right. Obedience is when we ultimately, we say no to the suggestion, and we say yes to God. So when we, when we see the temptation, the suggestion to do the wrong thing, we say to ourselves, you know, I don't agree with that. It's wrong. I'm not going there. I don't want to do that. Okay, that's, that's the step of obedience. But sin is when you ultimately agree with this suggestion to sin. So in other words, it's where you say on the inside, you know, I would do that if I could. It's where you cross a line from idea to intent, okay? It's agreement in your heart to the suggestion to sin. That's what sin is. And that's where you move over from temptation into sin. Let me, let me paint a very real scenario for half of the community who's here this morning, to the men, to the gentlemen, um, let's say that a beautiful, shapely, gorgeous woman in a tight-fitting red dress runs out in front of a crowd of men, okay? There is a very high degree of probability 
that every man in that crowd could face some degree of temptation, okay? It's not because men are pigs. It's not because men are toxic. It's because God gave men a sex drive and because temptation is common to everyone, the Bible says. So seeing the woman is not a sin. Conceding that the woman is attractive is not sin. Having a moment of momentary distraction for just a second is not sin, okay? But if one of the men in the crowd thinks to himself, I would like to have sex with that woman, then he's crossed the line. Across the line of temptation into the world of sin. So he has moved from what? From idea to intent. He's entered into the world of lust. He's entered into the world of fantasy. And Jesus said that lust, ultimately, at the end of the day, is adultery of the mind. So wanting to commit adultery makes you as culpable as doing the deed of adultery at the end of the day. So that helps paint a scenario of the difference between temptation and sin. Some of you this morning, I, th I think you need to be set free from false guilt. You've been tempted, and because you've been tempted, you have felt this terrible weight of condemnation every time you've been tempted. And I think it's time for you this morning to come out from under that weight. Temptation is not sin. God does not hold us accountable for temptation, so don't play into the devil's hand. He would, he would love to just see you crushed under a weight of false condemnation. He'd love to see you defeated before the game has even started. You need to just step out this morning from under that weight. Here's the fourth truth. Temptation can be resisted. Temptation can be resisted. Uh, let me look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. And, and we've already looked at part of this verse this morning. Uh, this is the rest of it. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There is, there is a way out of temptation. And with God's help, we can overcome temptation. Nobody, absolutely nobody, it says, is beyond a help for the temptations they experience. They can be resisted. They can be overcome. And God would never tell us this if it wasn't true. God wouldn't even write it in the script. It wasn't true for everyone. Because God is true, and he's faithful, and not false. So how do we do that? I mean, how do we resist temptation? And so I, I want to get really, really practical this morning, and I, I want to give us three spiritual life hacks to help you resist temptation in your life. Um, here's the first one. Flee. Flee. Uh, you may be familiar with the story of Joseph from Scripture, I mean, if you know it, look at story, Joseph's story in Genesis. His life began with God's promise. His life had all these ups and downs. Some of it was his own undoing. But at one point in his life, Joseph came into the service of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was powerful. He was wealthy. He looked at Joseph, and he saw, here's a young man with a lot of skills, and here's a man with a lot of integrity. And so he promoted Joseph so that he became the, the guy who gave oversight to his entire estate. Now, the thing about Joseph was that he was a... He was quite a looker. He was a hottie with a body. And so as a result of this, Potiphar's wife started to take a little bit of an interest in Joseph. As a matter of fact, if you read the scripture, it says there were a number of times that she tried to drag him into bed with her. Okay? But every time, Joseph resisted. Every time, Joseph said no, because he couldn't betray God, and he couldn't betray his master, who had been so good to him. But then one day, Joseph faced a huge temptation. And we pick it up in the text here in the book of Genesis. 
chapter 39, it says, One day Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She, that would be Potiphar's wife, caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now, I, I think we can learn something from Joseph here in the story. I mean, here he was. He was all alone. He was with the boss's wife. She was coming on to him. We don't know what she looked like, but she was coming on to him, okay? Nobody was around. There were no witnesses, okay? Who would ever find out at the end of the day? Who, who could it possibly hurt at the end of the day if he just this once gave in to temptation? But notice how he responded to the temptation. I mean, he didn't wait around and negotiate. He didn't sit down with temptation and a glass of wine and say, hey, let's think this through. Let's weigh out our options together, shall we? No, what does the text say he did? The text says he ran. He ran away. For me, it kind of reminds me of that scene in Monty Python's Holy Grail. I don't know if you've any see, ever seen it, but I'm throwing this out there for the Monty Python fans, right? They're dressed in armor. The knights are coming. They, they find the bunny that they're supposed to slay, and it's this ravenous killer bunny. It kills one of the knights, and what do the knights do as soon as they see that happen? Run away! Run away! And they turn around, and they run away, and they sing a song about it, how they boldly ran away. Okay, so I think this is what is in, uh, God has in mind here when he talks about temptation. Run away. But, but we linger too long. We like to negotiate with temptation. We like to sit down and weigh our options. We like to stare lovingly at the fishing hook in front of us and wonder whether or not this would be a good thing. Our knee-jerk response should be, when temptation is in front of us, don't negotiate, run away. Run away. And I think this is what Paul may have had in mind. He might have had Joseph's story in mind when he wrote his letter to his young protege, Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, here's what he says. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Paul says, Timothy, flee these evil desires. Run away from temptation and instead run towards what is right. So here's the second spiritual life hack. The second one is to avoid. One of the best ways I find to resist temptation is basically just to stay clear of it. Proverbs 4, verse 14 to 15 tells us this. It says, do not set foot on the path of the wicked or walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn from it and go on your way. How do you resist temptation? Well, one of the ways is just simply to avoid it altogether. It is preemptive resistance to the struggle that you could experience. See, the reality is, everyone in this room, each and every one of you probably has one or two temptations that are far stronger than other temptations you have in your life. And your temptation might not be the same as your temptation. It might not be the same as your temptation. But we all have them, and we have ones that we know. These are our Achilles heel. These are the things that are going to bring us down. Sometimes avoiding temptation means just avoiding situations that are going to play on our vulnerabilities. So, if you struggle with gluttony, don't dine at buffets. If you struggle with alcohol addiction, stay out of the bars. If you struggle with lust, don't eat at Hooters, okay? If you want to remain sexually pure, 
don't sleep over at your boyfriend's, and don't go on tenting excursions together where you share a tent, okay? You've got to avoid those critical areas of temptation in your life. Be preemptive. Be wise. It brings to mind what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Here's what he says. He says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. How does a lion hunt? Think about it. In the wild, how does a lion hunt? It doesn't attack the herd. It doesn't go after strength. It looks for vulnerability. It looks for the animal that's not paying attention. And that, that's why Peter says to us, listen, we've got to be alert. We have to be sober-minded. We need to be like the gazelle who's sitting there with his ears propped up, who's looking around, who's paying attention, and who's not distracted. Listen, let me ask you this question this morning. Do you know where you are the most vulnerable? Do you know what the lure is on the hook that the enemy would just love to bait you with? Do you know what that is? Well, let's get super practical here. Okay, Andy, Andy Stanley, love the guy. He talks about this practice that's known as setting up guardrails. And I've talked about this before, but it's so important, I want to I talk about it again. Setting up guardrails in your life is a way to help avoid temptation. So what are guardrails? What if, if you're driving through the mountains, you're driving on the highway, you see these rails, these metal rails on the side of the road, and the purpose of the rails isn't really even just to keep you from going off the road. The purpose of the rails is to keep you from getting to the edge. Okay? But what you'll notice about the guardrails in the mountains is they don't put the guardrails right up to the edge of the mountain. Because okay? if you hit those things, well, you're Dukes of Hazard into the, into the you know, oblivion. Okay? What they do is they set the guardrails back quite a ways from the edge. So that if you hit the guardrails, you're not going to come anywhere near the edge. And what, what Stanley would recommend is that we set up guardrails in our lives to avoid temptation. And we need to put up these protective boundaries not right next to the danger, but actually back from the danger. So what's a guardrail? It is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. Let me say that again. A guardrail is a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience. So it is a line that you set up for yourself far back from temptation. And, and this line, you know, the, technically the going over this line is not sin. Uh, this line is not everybody else's line. It's your line. So you're not going to hold somebody else accountable for the line that you create. But for you, you know where the edge is. You're setting up a boundary far back from the edge so that when you get to the line, you stop. Rather than you get to the edge and you stop. Because you know from experience that when you get to the edge, the chances of you going over that edge are very probable. Very, very high. And so you choose to set it back, far, far back. So let me give you an example. What if, what, if, what if your gluttonous temptation is potato chips, okay? I mean, you see a bag of potatoes, and it's like dominoes falling, okay? You can never eat just one, right? You eat that potato chip, five seconds later, you know what happened. The whole bag is gone, okay? You know that. Where might you set up a boundary? Well, for most people, unwittingly, they say, my boundary is that one potato chip, Right? And that's the edge, baby. I mean, for those of us who love chips, I mean, that's the edge. You know that when you eat that chip, you're going over the edge. Okay? So some people will say, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the potato chips and I'm going to put them on the top shelf. 
out of sight, out of mind, hard to reach. Okay? So what you've done, you've, you've taken and you've moved the boundary back a little bit. Okay? Other people will say, well, I'm going to take that bag of potato chips, I'm going to put it out in the garage. Okay, there it is. So if I want a potato chip, I've got to do a lot of work for that potato chip. Some people will even say, the boundary for that potato chips is my shopping cart. I just don't buy them. Because I know once they're in the house, they're in my stomach. And there's just no going back from that. That's an example of a guardrail that you can establish in your life. Now, let me talk about your vulnerability. I mean, do you have guardrails on your dating relationships? Do you have guardrails on your thought life? Do you have guardrails on your computer use or your smartphone use? Do you have guardrails on other relationships in your life? What are the guardrails that you can establish in your life to help you to avoid temptation altogether? I'm not saying that as Christians that we should bubble wrap our lives and live completely isolated and separated from the world. I don't believe that's true. I can, I can substantiate that through scripture, okay? But I'm just saying those critical areas of vulnerability in your life, could you set up guardrails so that you avoid the temptation altogether? All right, here's the third life hack. Trust God. Trust. The biggest make, mistake we can make with temptation is to try and win the battle alone. This is what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Here's the thing. You, you, you Ultimately, at the end of the day, you cannot overcome temptation in your own strength. What's happening inside of you and what's happening outside of you are two powerful forces that you cannot fight against by yourself. So don't be strong in yourself. It says be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Pray, seek God, trust God for the power to resist temptation. Ultimately, this is how you are going to stand up to temptation. So we could do all these other life hacks, but if you miss this step, you're a car that's driving down the highway without any gas. So, oh, changing the page here. Let's go down and see. There we go. Oh, technology. <laughs> All right. That was awkward. Okay. Here's the thing. If you're going to get God's help at the end of the day, you must be on God's side. You must be on God's side. Here's what James says, James chapter 4, verse 6. He says, but he, God, gives us more grace. And this is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the thing, before we can stand before Satan, we must bow before God. Before we stand before Satan, we must bow before God. Notice in the text, it says, first, submit yourselves to God. Second, resist the devil. If your life is not surrendered to God, you're already playing on the wrong team. And so when temptation comes, you're already on the other side of temptation. You're already in the other realm, working in that realm. If you're going to experience God's grace in your life, we need to take temptation seriously oh my my whole computer is gone okay that's okay this is the problem with technology i'm talking to spiritual power all right 
again? Has anyone been watching the news lately? So if we're going to experience God's grace, we need to be on God's side. And the thing is, is, is that when God is ultimately on our side, we can, in fact, resist temptation. And the scripture promises that when we resist the enemy, when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. Now, why is that? Why is it the, the enemy would back down from little old you or from little old me? And the answer to that question is simply because you are in Christ Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus, in other words, when you trust God for your salvation, when you surrender yourself completely to Christ, something powerful and supernatural happens. You are in Christ, and Christ is in you. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, and he resurrected from the dead, when God raised him from the dead, he defeated sin, he defeated death, he defeated the grave, but he also defeated the forces of evil. And God took Jesus and he put him to the highest place in the heavenly realms. Far above all dominion, every spiritual force, every power. When you are in Christ Jesus and you surrender your life to him, supernatural resurrection happens inside of you. You cross over from death to life. The spirit that was inside of you was dead, comes to life. God's spirit comes to live inside of you. Okay, And, and it says that you are seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms. In other words, that same authority that is available to Christ is available to you. Not because of who you are and what you've done, but because what Jesus has done for you and because you've trusted your life to him and you have surrendered with him, your position is in Christ. Because your position is in Christ, you can say to Satan, no way, step back, Jack. Step back. I resist that temptation and I walk away from it. You have power to resist it. And the enemy will walk away in Jesus' name. That's why we have the power and the authority to resist temptation. So this morning, you may be here, and you may be dealing with a very real temptation in your life. I'm not going to get a show of hands. But I can imagine that a large number of you here sitting this morning have experienced temptation. Some of you are struggling with temptation. And some of you may, in fact, be losing to that temptation. And you know what it is. And you may be asking the question this morning, will I always be tempted this way? Will I always experience this temptation? The fact of the matter is, temptation never goes away. It never goes away. But here's the thing. Today, temptation is screaming in your ear. God can turn it into a whisper. And here's how he does it. One victory at a time. One victory at a time. The way that you overcome temptation and you quiet temptation in your life is by resisting temptation today. That's it. Resist temptation today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Resist temptation today. Because if you resist temptation today, you begin to build up a strength and an immunity against temptation. You begin to fortify your heart and your mind and your soul against temptation. And the more you do it, the more you resist, 
the more you're able to overcome temptation. It actually works in the opposite direction too. The more you give in to temptation, the more power you give to it, okay? But by, by resisting again and again and again, what happens is the shouting of the temptation that is in your ear becomes a whisper. The evangelist and the reformer John Owen calls it the quietness of sin. It just becomes quiet. And it, it's still there. You still have temptation. But it no longer has the same loud voice that it used to have. And he, I, I want to tell you this morning that if you are facing that temptation today, in the power of Jesus, resist, resist, resist. And then the next time, resist again. And then resist again. Um, Charles Ellett was the chief engineer who built the first suspension bridge over the gorge of Niagara Falls. And this was hundreds of years ago, a day before flights and helicopters and whatnot. He had this enormous task to build a suspension bridge across Niagara Falls. And I don't know if you've ever been to a Niagara Falls, but you don't want to go in that water. It's deadly. And it's a large expanse to try and get across. How did he build a suspension bridge in that day and age across Niagara Falls? Here's how he did it. He took a rope. And he attached it to a kite that was on a string. And he flew that kite across the water. The kite went across the water, and he had a rope, okay? Attached to that rope, uh, he tied onto it a cord. They pulled the rope across the water. This large cord came across the water. They took the cord, and they attached it to a chain. They took, and they dragged that chain all the way across the water. They took the chain, they tied it to the suspension bridge cable, they dragged it all the way across the water until step by step by step by step, they had the cables in place to build this enormous suspension bridge. That is how resistance to temptation works. It starts with a string, continues with a rope and a cord and a chain and a cable until eventually you have this firm and strong defense against temptation in your life. Let me ask you the question this morning. What is the kite that you need to fly today? What is that area in your life where you need to begin the resistance so that God can do his restoration work in your life? What is it? What is it? And will you surrender yourself to God and say, God, I'm on your team. I'm on your side. And I need you to help me resist. Maybe today is your day. And you know what? I would love at the end of this message today is just to pray for you and pray God's power in your life for the battle that's there because the struggle is real. It's real. And Jesus wants to restore your life. So will you join me in prayer? I'll invite the band to come. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. And I wonder if you today would say, yeah, yeah, that's me. I need, to, I need to be real with the struggle. And I wonder if, if, if you're today and you say, I need to go fly a kite. I need to begin this battle. I wonder if I could just pray for you. And maybe you just in faith, you just want to slip up your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Uh, listen, my hand is up. Maybe yours is as well. And I'm just going to pray for you for the struggle. Thank you. Just as an act of faith. Let's pray together. I wonder if you could just begin right now where you're at, just saying, Lord, the struggle is real. And this, 
speak it to him very clearly and say, God, this is the struggle. And to just continue that prayer, you would just, you would just bow your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, I want to surrender my heart to you. I want to be on your side, not on the side of the struggle. I surrender myself to you again today. I surrender your life. talk to your heart, maybe even your hands in a, in a way that we plead from God and just say, I, I need to receive from the Lord this morning. And I'm going to pray for you. Father, um, we acknowledge that the enemy is a liar. We acknowledge that within ourselves, that while we are here in, on earth, that the struggle is still real inside of us. Um, but you are, you are forming us into something beautiful and new and uh, we acknowledge that. Thank you for your restoration work. And we just, today, we pray in Jesus' name for the power to resist temptation, to say no to it, and to trust in you for that. We acknowledge, Jesus, that you have defeated sin, death, and the grave. We acknowledge that we don't have to give in to temptation, that we can resist. We acknowledge you have a power and authority. And today, we ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, to help us realize, and to come into the realization of that authority and that power that is ours in Christ Jesus. Open up our eyes, our minds, our hearts to see it. And God, now we just pray that today, just for today, we would resist temptation. And we choose what's right. We turn our backs on what's wrong. We choose you. And God, tomorrow we're going to pray the same thing. And we're going to resist until we build a stronger foundation. Thank you that you are for us, not against us. Thank you that you are in the battle with us and we are not alone. And we love you for it. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.